The Student Voting Network podcast is produced by students at a national level. This podcast does not reflect the views of any organizations associated with the Student Voting Network. In January of 2021, student organizers across the country formed the Student Voting Network podcast, or SVN for short, in response to recent attacks on our democracy in previous months. We created this nonpartisan project to help build student-led voting coalitions in thousands of colleges and universities and amplify our voices. We achieved record student voter turnout in 2020, but now with a new year and the midterms before us, we're only getting louder. Our democracy is in peril, but our generation can save it. Welcome to SVNCast season three. Hello, uh, thank you all so much for joining us and listening to this podcast wherever you may be. Um, welcome to our 2022 kickoff season three premiere of SBNCast. I'm super excited. My name is Emma Godell. I use she, her pronouns, and I am a graduate student, specifically a student getting a master's in public administration and organizer at American University in Washington, DC. And joining me are a number of really passionate organizers who have all appeared on this platform before. Hi, everyone. Um, so my name is Raymond Barber. I'm a senior at the University of Detroit Mercy. Uh, I'm studying political science and uh, uh, I'm a political fundraiser for the National Democratic Training uh, Center. Before that, I did a lot of field work, but uh, I'm really happy to be here. Uh, my name is Jenna Green. I'm a senior political science major specialization in international politics at Texas Lutheran University. Um, I am also a national intern for Campus Vote Project and a student activist, student organizer, and everything in between. Hello, everybody. My name is Jay Sean Hyde. I'm a senior at Virginia State University. I'm a political science major with a minor in public administration. I use he, him pronouns, and I'm from Richmond, Virginia. I currently am a spring 2022 democracy fellow for Campus Vote Project. I am a data analyst intern for public service partners located in Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm also one of the newest spring interns for the Environmental Voter Project based in Virginia. Hi everyone, my name is Jamie Beasley. Um, I use she, her pronouns. I go to Clark Atlanta University um, in the illustrious AUC Atlanta University Center. Um, I am a PhD candidate in Department of Political Science. Um, I have a master's in public administration, concentration in public policy. Um, and I'm doing this work because I am just very passionate about people having a say of what goes on in their lives. And um, I think that we, it, democracy is a do. So it's important that we, we keep doing this work and remind that everyone that this is a do. Hey everyone, uh, my name is Sebastian Canales. I'm a junior uh, at Cleveland State University majoring in political science. And I do this work, uh, for many of the same reasons that Jamie mentioned as well, I think that um, everyone's voice uh, deserves to be heard. And I think in particular, uh, college students are oftentimes overlooked. Um, but I hope that this generation, uh, like Emma was mentioning earlier, uh, that we collectively are able to sort of change that narrative. And instead of college students sort of being forgotten, that college students um, are able to sort of come to the front and center of collective action for democracy. Thank you all so much for introducing yourselves. So 
Back in 2021, uh, specifically January of 2021, uh, Student Voting Network podcast really got its start. We initially wanted to make this podcast as a response to um, our momentum from 2020, but then January 6th happened and we had a lot to talk about. So thankfully to my knowledge, we didn't see another coup attempt this January 6th, but um, in classic January fashion, we still have a lot to talk about. Um, I originally planned this episode just in response to President Biden's speech. Um, in support of specifically the Senate passing the Freedom to Vote Act, which the House had done just, I believe, what, days before. And specifically as a veteran senator himself, um, President Biden spoke out in favor of changing the rules to the filibuster. I gotta find this word for it. I will be including a link to um, the transcript of his speech, but I believe he explicitly said, I support changing the rules however necessary to pass this voting rights legislation. So I'm sure that um, because we're all voting rights nerds, you either watch the speech live or like me, you caught it a few hours later or you read the speech. Uh, what were your responses to President Biden's speech? I was very excited to see him speak. Um, so of course, because he was at my institution, right? Um, his introduction and like uh, his, um, yeah, his introduction to like why he was there, um, you know, was very, you know, on target. The AUC um, is known for their student movement work. Um, and like Com Vice President Harris said, it is the cradle of the rights movement. It was also during Martin Luther King's um, observance of his birthday. So like when he did it and how they did it was beautiful. Um, I, I mean, I think that we have to like frame this in a way to emphasize that the president and vice president are not the most powerful part of our United States government. The, I will argue that the executive branch is the least powerful. Um, Congress is responsible for voting rights and they're responsible for particularly writing law. So I think um, their um, support, when they supported it was great. I don't have anything negative to say about the actual speech and like what he said. Um, he pulled in a lot of, you know, heavy hitters. He talked about, he talked about Fannie Lou Hamer. I took notes. Um, he, um, and uh, Vice President um, Harris also made, you know, very good points too. Um, so I think like the, both of their positions on it, I mean, obviously it's supported, but I think it just would, we, I just want to really remind people that Congress is responsible for writing law. Like, that was like my whole thing. I was watching, so I was like, this is great, you know, that we have a supportive presidency, but Congress, y'all need to get on it, damn it. Like, this is ridiculous. So that that was just my initial um, thought. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jamie. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you when it comes to like the executive branch. Like, I think the executive branch is um, probably the least powerful branch in the U United States government for the simple fact that, you know, uh, when it comes to these big, big issues, when we're talking about rights, uh, civil rights and things like that, you're going to need the support of Congress, um, especially if it comes to like a domestic agenda. And so it's just like, for me, like my thoughts on like Biden's speech, uh, I really did like what he had to say. I thought it was a very uh, powerful message in terms of like, you know, explaining why voting rights are so important and like what's going on with voting rights, like how they're being under attack. He mentioned, you know, Americans having long lines, like some people will wait, you know, probably 20 minutes if they're more in more of a rural area. Uh, but you have people that are waiting up to like five hours, six hours, 
eight hours to vote, which is just completely ridiculous. You know, no one would want to go through that. Um, and so I think that's really what the essence of like this fight is all about. Um, I mean, just from the people that are in the room, like I know we've all spent a, being conservative, probably at least 200 hours <laughs> of our time uh, advocating for, you know, these important issues, uh, to, which are really just, you know, American issues. It's like, does do people have a right to vote in this country? Um, and so I think that's something that we're all fighting for. But I just feel like with the speech, uh, it did, it was lackluster, in my opinion, in some ways. Uh, I feel like he could have gone after the legislative process a little bit harder, uh, namely, you know, Senator Joe Manchin and Senator Cinema. Um, I, I, I like kind of went through I went through the entire speech and it was just like, you know, they're siding with Republicans on this. And, you know, that was about all he had to say about that. Um, so I would like them to see like them to do more uh, as well with um, Vice President Harris. Um, but I thought it was a really good event overall. Yeah, I was just going to kind of mimic what y'all had already mentioned. I think you're right on point. I definitely agree. He could have mentioned Senators Mansion and Cinema a little bit more. Um, we don't tend to see as much attacking or as as enough attacking as I like to see from Biden's administration and Biden's side because We've seen a lot of that in the past, and I think there's a there's room for a little bit more fight in that aspect. Not necessarily like we don't need to go attack everybody, but I think there do, there does need to be a little more aggression. Um, I did like about the speech that he used words that uh, like the opposition doesn't like to hear. They don't like to hear suppression. They don't like to hear that they're taking away rights from Black and Brown Americans. Like they don't like to hear that because they don't want to admit it admit that it's true necessarily. Um, I liked that he said his administration was going to not going to stop fighting for voting rights. So I think we need to hold him accountable to that statement. And we need to make sure that he's being held accountable for his actions. Because as y'all mentioned, he might not be the executive branch might not be in charge of all of this together. But I think him as president, Biden can hold Congress more accountable than they're being held accountable right now. And it just it just proves that we as citizens can't rely on Congress alone or elected officials alone. All of the work that we're doing has to continue for some sort of change to happen in the future. Um, but I agree with everything that y'all said. And I think that there's just a little more room in my opinion to hold Biden himself accountable as well as Congress, as well as Senators Manchin and Cinema. I think that there's I liked the energy from the speech, but I think there could be a little bit, a little bit more in the future. I certainly agree with um, what everyone thus far has said. Um, there was a uh, excerpt that I wrote down while I was listening to uh, President Biden's speech for the first time, um, where he says, and I quote, uh, the battle for the soul of America is not over. We must stand strong and stand together to make sure January 6th marks not the end of democracy, but the beginning of a renaissance of our democracy, end quote. And I really like um, those last few words, um, the beginning of a renaissance of our democracy. Um, I think it, in, it, I think it really encapsulates um, the, what's happening in 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 american democracy in american politics right now that people are upset understandably so and we want to as a country i 
think, I hope, <laughs> we want to make sure that people have the ability to uh, vote comfortably. And I really like the idea, uh, I really like what President Biden said when he mentioned um, long lines equaling voter, voter suppression. He mentioned Jim Crow 2.0, which I was kind of um, shocked that he said something like that, but I guess desperate times call for desperate measures. <laughs> um, but I think um, overall with the speech, I was pleased. I really like um, that he, I, I like his use of language and that he wasn't um, resorting to sort of hateful rhetoric or derogatory rhetoric. So I really, I really appreciate that um, from President Biden. I honestly didn't watch his speech. I don't really pay attention to a lot of things political on TV only because it's a lot of it's too many sources that say different things of what he said. And I can watch a speech alone, but the household I do live in is very much politically disbanded, how I put that in. I don't like the fact that if I, if anyone hears me watching that or even talking about it, then all of a sudden it's like they look at me as an enemy because I'm not on this side, but I'm on this side when I have to explain I'm independent and I even and it's sad that I have to even explain what that word means in a political standpoint because if independent means to be on your own in real in reality politically you should automatically know what that means it's kind of sad that I have to explain it unless you're I'm not going to even say an age because I know how people are going to think I'm stereotypical but what I will say is um I think as people, democracy is within the people. It even says it in the U.S. Constitution, we the people is literally the first three words. And I feel we shouldn't rely on political officials for the decisions that they make, especially when each level of government, such as local, state and federal, have different powers. And I feel like we're going to the wrong people to express our concerns with because federal wise they handle a lot of the global issues state and local they handle the issues that we have with but we take them to a much further level i can see jamie just praising me right now <laughs> oh my god but yeah i think a lot of people just don't understand that each level of government is for in each level of a problem like international conflict that has nothing to do with any of us even in this call because who what what world war are we gonna start but I feel like as far as taxes or um, creating more jobs I feel like that's more of a state and local type of endeavor that you should take to the right people instead of going straight to the president or congress and it's just a waste of anyone's time because you're not going to the right people so therefore you go to the wrong people you're going to get the right amount of time wasted I do just want to touch on what Jayshan just said, because I think he brings up a lot of phenomenal points. I think the the fact that, I mean, I agree with everything you said, obviously. So I live in Ohio and the roads are not very clean right now. <laughs> There's a lot of snow on them. And so I'm not going to like tweet at President Biden and be like, Mr. President, I need my uh, streets to be you know, plowed or cleaned. Obviously, that's a local issue. And I think if more people understood the importance of local and state elections, I, I really, maybe I'm too optimistic. I really think that if people understood the importance of local and state elections, they would be much more eager to cast their ballots for a city council member or mayor or governor or a state senator. But obviously, that's unfortunately not the case. Um, and then one more point that Jay Sean mentioned was this sort of division of, of um, 
political ideologies, right? I firmly disagree with anyone who says, you know, oh, well, if you're a Republican or if you're a Democrat or if you're a libertarian, like we can't be friends or anything like that. And I've always sort of, I don't hate anything, but I've always vehemently disagreed with that kind of extreme. Um, I think just because someone disagrees politically with something doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, they're a bad person, whatever that means, but not to sound like a hippie, but I really do think like we should all just get along a little bit more. And I don't think that politics should be sort of the end all be all in households or in friendships. Um, that's uh, yes. So I finger snaps all the way, Jay Sean. I want to touch a little bit, if I can, on what Sebastian just said. I totally agree. I'm all for, I'm friends with every person on the political spectrum, but I disagree that I can get along with someone when it comes to like basic human rights, because basic human rights are not up for debate, in my opinion. So I would love if everyone could get along and just be best friends and be buddy buddy with each other, but I'm not going to sacrifice someone else's right to life or right to liberty or right to happiness for a friendship yeah i agree jenna like i mean i I hope we're not getting too off topic but like you know i feel like this political climate is really just so like volatile like uh this is a really hard time to you know want to get into politics or like you know try to make change especially when like a third of the population um i don't know if you guys saw that story but with the washington post saying like violence against the the government's justified in terms of like you know um they think that there's going to be more violence and stuff like that um just kind of like january 6th that we saw and like i'm pretty sure no one wants to live in a world like that so it's just like a really tough time to be in this in this climate and this work and stuff like that thank you all for your insights there um i think yeah it's really important to mention that this is i think a particularly hostile uh political environment um it's the only one i know because I started, you know, consciously thinking about politics in like the late 2000s and we were already so polarized then. Uh, I really don't know what the camaraderie and bipartisanship of say the 70s or the 40s or the 1800s was. That's just not something I'm familiar with. But I do think that we all agree that even the people we disagree with fiercely should have the right to vote. And that's why this particular week in congressional history was so important. So all of you just mentioned uh, two people who I do want to reintroduce, uh, Senators Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, who are both Democrats. Um, I don't think they agree with people uh, on the more far left end of the spectrum, but I also don't think they'll be changing their party ideology anytime. That's just my opinion. Um, But one of my goals with this podcast is to make politics more understandable and interesting for the students that we reach that are just not engaged at all. So hopefully, uh, if you're not very engaged, welcome. Thanks for listening. My question for our panelists is, what was the significance of these two single senators voicing significantly opposition to the way we handle the filibuster. To clarify, I believe both of them said, I support this voting rights bill, but I don't support, unlike my other Democratic colleagues, changing the filibuster rules. Wow. So I actually like have a mouthful. Um, I don't, I will answer your question first. Um, I think that their position is, you know, very telling. 
I'm going to ruffle some feathers here. It's like Bernie Sanders saying that he's an independent, but he caucuses with the Democrats. So it's like you got you got your your straddling. Right. Um, And so I have a problem with that. Are you going to, as a congressional member, stand on what you say you believe in or are you going to, you know, waver depending on what the weather is? I don't know. Um, so that's my first thought. My second thought is your comment about making sure that people understand or like people are interested in politics or government. What we have now is people do not fundamentally understand how the United States government operates. We do not understand separation of powers. And to Sean's point, we don't understand who we need to go to to do what. Voting is a state and local issue, period. That's it. What the federal government is doing is providing somewhat of a blueprint of what is absolutely not tolerated across states when it comes to voting and and, and securing the democracy, right? I want to turn your attention to Georgia because Georgia is like on fire right now with just everything. We are just where everyone's like, oh, Georgia's blue. We're like really purple um, because there's such a there is political competition here, like across the board. Right. Um, So first thing I read an article. January 19th, about a small county in Georgia called Lincoln County. 68% of the people in Lincoln County voted for or got Donald or voted for Donald Trump in 2020. Um, 29% of their population are Black people, but overwhelmingly the people in this particular county are poor, so much so that they do not have reliable transportation consistently. Because of the because of the gutting of the Voting Rights Act, the federal legislation, the Section Four of that legislation requires preclearance, right? So preclearance is anytime you make um, anytime you make any changes to any um, polling place, it has to be cleared federally first. They took that out. So because of this, the people in the the state of Georgia is requesting for that county to shut down seven polling locations and consolidate seven polling locations into one under justification that, oh, all of the polling places, all of the equipment is old. And so we're going to give you new equipment here at this one polling place, one polling place for 7,800 people. This now, this now proves that the voting issue is a class issue and it's not just race. So Mitch McConnell made the comment, there's more Black Americans voting than Americans, suggesting that Black people are not Americans, right? But now with this move, it's very clear that Republicans are not trying to get anyone to vote that doesn't, that is, that is a person of color or that is not, um, or that are poor people, right? So I think that we have like to really have honest conversation about what's going on here because it's always positioned as a race issue and it's not just race. Race complicates the idea, but it's certainly class. And so we have to see how that varies across states because again, states and counties determine what elections look like. So I think like we're dealing with something very massive and it's very intricate because Republicans have been planning these things since 2008, since Obama won his presidency. This has been, this is like a long game. Democrats now need to figure out a plan and stop being like, poor me, I can't do anything. When, 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 voter suppression. What is your messaging? What what are you telling people? You're not saying anything. You're not, there's no consistent package. Republicans are lockstep with whatever it is that they're doing. And if you do not go with what they're saying, they're like, oh, see ya.
we're going to cast you out. We don't want anything to do with you because you're not in line with what we're trying to do. Democrats have to stop playing moral police and victim roles and being like, I can't do anything. AOC needs to close her mouth because most of the time she doesn't know what she's talking about. I'm So I know we love her, but sometimes she is dead wrong, dead wrong. So we have to have these honest conversations to move forward. That was a mouthful, I know, sorry. Raymond, yes. All right, yes, Jamie, um, thank you for that. Um, so, I mean, like, you know, we're all political organizers here and, um, you know, just for like the listeners, I wanted to explain the five points um, that I think should be communicated about Joe Manchin and stuff like that. But to your point, Jamie, of like Democrats going, oh no, what can I do? Or like, you know, um, I feel like, you know, if you're elected, you know, to represent people that automatically makes you responsible. Like if you guys remember at a time, like you guys are in a group, group, like group setting, are you going to follow the leader that doesn't put in the work? Are you going to follow the leader that just doesn't, you know, just like, oh, something bad happened. I'm not going to do anything about it. Um, so like, you know, that's just the basic thing. Like people are going to hold you responsible and you got to expect that. Um, but going back to the five points, like, you know, we're talking about senators, Kristen Cinema and senators, Joe Manchin. Um, I think the five points that people need to know is one, um, you know, they're considered the moderate wings of the party. Um, but if you look at their personal finances, that says a little something different, but I won't talk about that right now. Um, so, you know, for example, um, you know, West Virginia Senator uh, Joe Manchin, uh, he votes with Democrats 60% of the time. So that's what like media kind of considers like moderate. Um, but the second point is that, you know, people, I, I hear this a lot uh, and I hear this from friends because, you know, like you guys, like, you know, I have friends on different sides of the political spectrum and stuff like that all across it. And something someone told me one time was, you know, oh, they're just representing like, you know, the constituents with stuff like that. Um, and like to that point, I always have to disagree because like we live in a republic where, you know, you elect someone to represent you. Um, and as we see with Kristen Cinema, um, you know, according to polling from her own state, 90% uh, of Democrats do not approve of her work. Uh, she was just censored this past weekend um, because the Democratic Party of Arizona feels that she's not representing them. And this is from her own constituents. Um, you know, the third point I would say about like um, what to know is like the filibuster uh, that, you know, I think everyone knows what the filibuster is, but in case you don't, um, it's basically just a rule that in the Senate, you need 60 votes um, to overrule it. Um, otherwise the, the Senate has to keep talking about a legislation and uh, keep debating it, um, which isn't in the constitution, but is a rule. Um, that's been in place. Um, but this also results in completely killing all legislation unless it's like, you know, unless you have 60 votes, which means, you know, as long as you don't get 60 votes, you can't overrule it. Um, and there's a lot of problems with that. Um, the fourth thing I would say is, you know, voting rights is the right um, protected that protects all other rights. Uh, that was a Thomas Paine quote. I think it's really relevant and of why this fight's so important. Uh, the last thing I wanted to say just for viewers is that, you know, one thing I've heard is that like federalizing election is this 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 voting rights bill federalizes elections like the 15th Amendment, the 19th Amendment, um, you know, those are voting rights amendments, all, all the other ones. And with each 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 of those amendments, what it says is that Congress has the power uh, to enforce, you know, voting rights. Congress has the, that power. So. I don't know. I don't know what they're talking about when when something like that comes up. But those are the five points I wanted to make. 
Um, and Jamie, I just want to make this last point for you. It's less like, or, you know, to your point, which is, um, you know, when it comes to having these conversations of enforcing voting rights and protecting people's rights, uh, it's just that Democrats need to do a carrot and stick approach. Like they've done the talking, they've done the speech, they've done the speech, like the speeches, they've had the phone calls. And I feel like that's very much a carrot approach. The stick approach would be calling out the polling, like, hey, you're not representing your state. Going to Arizona, going to West Virginia, saying, hey, uh, these two senators are blocking uh, the Democratic Party agenda, which is in turn blocking the people's agenda in your states, because this is what the things that they want. You know, they don't want long lines. They don't want, um, you know, ban banning, pe giving people water, banning drive through voting. You know, people want to have multiple days to vote. People want to, to vote by mail. People want to have uh, online voter registration. Uh, and those are things that are not in all 50 states. So for me, then this is a heads up to those who are going to be listening to this. So I'm different as a <clears throat> as a political organizer because I don't watch much of the news because um, I have a political temper. That's what I give. That's what I give to myself. So I'm willing to punch the TV if I hear just the slightest little hypocrisy. For me, I just feel that both sides, especially when it comes to the Democratic Party, I feel like it's a lot of them are just people who contradict themselves to the greatest extent, because you say you're for the people, but I'm hearing that you're taking away things that the people should automatically own the moment they're born or the moment they reach a certain age. Because um, here in Virginia, um, there have been a few incidences with voting. Um, I'm trying to think of one. There's been a lot of incidences, not even in just Virginia, but in but I believe in Georgia as well, where I'm hearing they weren't giving people the right resources, um, such as food, water. Um, you think that someone who would say, oh, I'm for the people would actually provide you with those resources, but then don't. But then those same people are tired of hearing us complain. And here I'm in my head just saying, stop complaining, Karen, before because I'm calling on you. So technically, you're supposed to be providing me. So if you don't want me to complain or or bitch about anything, then you should do what you are up. You should do what you're uphold to do. Like I voted you into this office along with the electoral college, which that's a different story. Um, So I feel like if I voted for you and based off of what you said you were going to do, then do it. Don't get mad because I'm complaining about what you said you, were, you weren't going to do and you're not doing it. As for Republican, I feel like a lot of it's just both sides just have like that natural weakness. Like I feel like sometimes Democrats are very contradicting and I feel like Republicans are just sometimes too careless. Um, being that Youngkin, I think I said his last name right, was just like as our new state governor and he's gotten rid of the mask mandates. Um, I'm not a big fan of the masks, but I do it because it's the policy and that's just because I have to, that's just my honest opinion. Um, hopefully I don't, hopefully no one takes that as disrespect or anything. I just feel like it was a careless move because you're not doing, you're doing what you did based off of how you feel. You're not going about how any of us feel about it. Um, and that's where that careless act comes in because I just feel like you're just being careless with the amount of power you're given, which a lot of these political officials do specifically. But yeah, being that he did what he did, it seems like a lot of the attention, a lot of the tension that's built up from what he did is built, it has built up to the point because I believe someone not too long ago had threatened to shoot a school because of the mask mandate. And she did not want her son to attend that school. And I said, 
well, that's reckless of you. It's not even, it's really not that serious to even want to do something like that. So I don't understand where you would even get the thought of, okay, I'm going to wake up. I'm going to go and threaten to shoot up a school because of a mask mandate. Mind you, this is where my early point comes in. You have to talk to the right people. So the right amount of time isn't wasted, honey, because you're not, you can't bring something like this to the federal government because every, every business on entity. So a lot of the, those policies don't even come from the state or the federal government is policies that they make based off of the decisions of those um, different levels of government, just to point that out. There was an article that I read a few weeks ago where um, Senator Sinema was mentioning that one of the reasons that she opposed um, changing the filibuster was because she didn't want, um, she felt that it was going to contribute to the political division that is already very high. And so um, to Jamie and to Raymond, um, who, from what I heard, were probably the biggest um, proponents for changing, um, or the biggest supporters of changing the filibuster, uh, do you think that it would further further this political division if the party in power, well, yeah, the party in power who are the Democrats right now, but by the skin, you know, the hairs on their chinny chin chin. Um, do you think that it would contribute to the political division? Okay, I think uh, we have to recenter what elected officials are like sworn in essentially to do, right? So I want to point out that like a lot of things, a lot of issues that are being discussed are drawn, they make their decisions based on party alliances and like party ideas. It's not based on the good of American people, which is supposedly like why they're in office, right? Like we can disagree on how to get to the destination, but the destination is the same. We have people in office that are fundamentally disagreeing with things that I thought we were clear on as like American people, right? I think that they have to recenter why they're in office. They're in office to provide solutions for American people. And like I said, how we get there varies depending on like, I guess, party ideology, but we should have fundamental fundamental issues that we agree on. So it's clear that voting is not one of them. We should, we should be asking these questions. If you are an American elected official, why do you not think, there's like one party thinks that people should vote and the other party doesn't. Like what, what have we come to? I think is what we should be asking. And so that's, that's, my, that's my thing with that. Raymond? Yeah, so just chiming in here, Sebastian, that was a great point. And it's just like, for me, like when it comes to like changing the filibuster or abolishing the filibuster, I think, you know, this is where the, our knowledge of like basic civic, um, you know, how our government works is really important, right? Because the federal government already has its own systems of checks and balances in the legislative process. Like it's not something that like, oh, I'm just going to go ahead and get a majority and just rule on everything. Like, no, that's not how it works. You know, legislation has to be introduced. And in the House, um, there's this sort of approval system between like, the leadership, which is really strange and crazy. Um, that changed in 2017, but that's beside the point. But, you know, first legislation has to be talked about in a committee. Then it has to move to another committee to for review. Uh, then it has to be it has to be de debated. Uh, then it has to be voted on. 
then it has to go to the next chamber to be debated on and talked about and overlooked and all this other stuff. So it's already a long process that already goes through. Um, you know, I think going back to my earlier point, I said that, you know, the filibuster is a tool used to debate legislation. And I don't necessarily agree with that framing, but, you know, that's kind of like how it's been pitched to people. Um, because mostly because like the filibuster, I, in my personal opinion, uh, is something that's just so anti-democratic. Uh, I think uh, Sen Senator Cinema uh, and Senator Joe Manchin are talking out of their fucking asses, if I'm being honest. Like they're talking out of their ass. You know, with the legislative process uh, being the way that it is, uh, it already takes forever to get stuff done. Uh, I think if you were to ask a Republican, if you were to ask a Democrat, you know, it takes too long to get something done. And that's on top of already having to two parties that don't agree with each other. So I think when people cast their votes, when people are out there advocating for something that they believe in, they expect that they're going to get that change. They expect that, you know, the person in power is going to fight to get, get that stuff done. Um, Democrats, you know, this time, uh, they worked their asses off. They went ahead and got the majority of the Senate um, by, by a very, you know, hair, a slim hair on their chin. Um, you know, they have the House, they have the presidency, they have the Senate. And that's because people voted for them, frankly. And so to me, why Republicans are a part of the legislative process, I don't think that makes sense. If we had a split house, I could see the argument for more conversations. It's just um, stopping legislation from going through, stopping it from already um, being debated and passed. So I'm all, all for changing the filibuster. In your previous answers, a number of you mentioned that voting rights have something to do with race. And I have to be really mindful about moderating this discussion because if I don't mention that this isn't like racism isn't a side effect of voter suppression. It isn't just something that is also happening alongside voting rights. What I'm saying is that this isn't just an issue that also involves race. It was built on racism and it's really the central issue of this voting rights bill. And if I don't drive that point home, I'm doing a bad job moderating. So now I wanna open the floor up to you guys. There was one Senate speech um, when I was watching the live stream of the debate that released um, stood out to me. And believe it or not, it was actually from Senator Dan Sullivan, who is a Republican from Alaska. And he actually put up a sign uh, showing states like New York, Delaware, um, a select number of states in my home um, region of New England, uh, Connecticut, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, um, that all in this particular election cycle voted for Biden and voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016. So I was actually really surprised by his speech because um, this um, bill is divided on party lines. All Democrats, regardless of their filibuster stance, support the voting rights bill all of the Republicans um, are against it. So he was arguing against it, but in my opinion, he actually made a really, really fabulous argument um, in favor of this voting rights bill. Um, additionally, he mentioned the phrase Jim Crow 2.0. He was deeply offended by that um, as, a, as a side note, but he said, although Democrats like to call out Republicans for trying to suppress voting, the states the Democrats control in the Northeast makes casting a ballot more difficult than anywhere else. And he's absolutely right. I mean, I'm someone who grew up in Maine and New Hampshire and went to college in Pennsylvania. I know firsthand that despite 
being um, so-called like liberal, progressive Northern states, they've had some of the most archaic voter suppression laws in the country. So my question is, and I'm sorry, this was such a long buildup, is this voting rights bill more than just Southern states? Because we have Northern states <laughs> being wrapped on this call too. Is this more than just the Jim Crow South? Is this a 50 state issue? I like that you mentioned the the kind of Jim Crow South and how Jim Crow has been mentioned because I actually uh, came prepared with a quote from Cory Booker from the other day. And he said, don't lecture me about Jim Crow. I know this is not 1965. This That's what makes me so outraged. It's 2022 and they're blatantly removing more polling places from the counties where blacks and Latinos are overrepresented. I'm not making that up. That's a fact. And just like you were talking about, it isn't just, I don't personally believe that it is just the South. I think as mentioned earlier, there is no universal voting law for the United States. And I think that that's one of the main issues and one of my main debate points every day is unless there are universal rules, you're going to one, have confused voters and you're also going to have varying suppression laws all over the country. I mean, I'm in Texas. You don't have to lecture me on voter suppression laws, but it's one of those things. I don't, I don't think it's just the South. Like you mentioned, Northern states have just as much voter suppression that Southern states have. And until we have universal rules and like a set list of things that everyone can follow the same exact way and be explained at the same exact points, then it's not, it's not a win. We can't just win in the South. We have to win across all 50 states. I want to point out that the Civil Rights uh, Act of 1964 and Voting Rights Act of 1965 are the most radical pieces of legislation ever passed because it requires for states to do X, Y, Z, A, B, C. What is happening now is a direct result. All of these varying um, approaches, approaches, if you will, to voting comes from the 2013 Supreme Court decision to get rid of preclearance. Preclearance was established to make sure and put teeth in um, states and local election laws so that Black people in particular could vote. But the, we know the Civil Rights Act did not just benefit Black and Brown people, it benefited women, it benefited people um, who have uh, different abilities, it benefited more than just um, Black folks. I want that, I want this conversation to expand because I feel like that's the first place we go. It's like, oh, this is just for Black people and it's just, and it's just that Black people can't vote. It's not, I made the point earlier that it's a class issue. That it is, it is, it is, they don't want poor people to vote. They don't want people of color to vote. Anyone who is not a white heterosexual Christian male, they do not want them to vote. And that is, that is how Democrats need to structure this messaging because using race as the, you know, pulling the race card, if you will, is not helpful to anyone because it's half of the truth. It's not all of the truth. It is a race and class issue. You can even argue a gender issue, right? So I think. We have to be more expansive and more inclusive of the conversations that we have about voting because it's it like Mitch McConnell is like more like I said earlier more Black Americans voted than Americans. It's not just it's not just for it's not just a Southern thing. It's not a Northern thing. It is if you are not like I said a white heterosexual Christian male and you do not have those values that those that particular group has, they don't want you interested or even pushing back at any laws at all. So I think 
when we have that open conversation and we include more people, then perhaps like we can get more people on board with this because it's not when we start talking about, oh, it's a Southern thing, the Southern people are backwards. I will argue that Georgia is kicking ass in the South. We Georgia has a chance to be a leader in the South with everything that they're doing because there is so much competition here. Georgia is on its way to electing the first black woman governor. That is unheard of in any other state, right? So I got some issues with Stacey Abrams, but that's not the conversation. But this is, you know, groundbreaking things in the South. And so the South is not as backwards as people want to say that it is, right? So I think we have to, like, we have to expand the conversation. It's us, like our responsibility as people who thoroughly understand government structure and processes. We have to expand that conversation and not limit it to like, like punch points that they use on the news, right? Um, okay, I just wanted to touch base on what um on what Jamie did. I mean, not touch base, but add on to a point what Jamie said. Um, as well as expand, I feel like um, <clears throat> and this is something we need to take in consideration of as well that a lot of us are not in control of the mindsets of others because I feel that people should be open minded to the possibilities in which things can happen, even just for the North, for the South, for the Mid Atlantic, because. For myself, being that I'm from Virginia, a lot of people think, oh, we're a northern state. Some people think we are a southern state when in actuality, we're actually a mid-Atlantic state. So we can't claim neither. We're just in the middle. It's like we're the, like just the horizontal middle line within the United States East Coast. Because if you think about we're in between two other states that are actually Maryland, which is northern, and then you have North Carolina, which is actually southern. But then you have Virginia, which is in the middle, we're actually classified as mid-Atlantic on some maps, but some people actually consider us Southern. So I feel like a lot of people need to be open-minded to the amount of knowledge that their brains can consume within politics, as well as Afri especially African-American politics, because a lot of African-Americans do not know our own history. Like a lot of people don't know Martin Luther King. A lot of people don't even know who Rosa Parks is. A lot of people don't know much about their own history. So I feel like they should be open-minded to learning about their history, especially the political background of it before engaging into modern times, because what you didn't understand before, you're not going to understand now. Um, that's just in my opinion, but I do agree with what Jamie said. I feel like there should be a big, um, a huge expansion on the knowledge of po different political cultures and the views of voting rights within the North and South and the entire um, U.S., a lot of people there have been there are several states that have actually blocked certain courses of politics like they're I, I forgot what state it was but they're trying to um no Youngkin is actually trying to do this now he's trying to stop a certain subject from being in class in Virginia um it was on Instagram like a few days ago I forgot he's trying to stop a certain class from being taught and I'm just sitting here like Okay, yeah, like I didn't know this was going to happen. It's kind of obvious. It's happened before, just in different states, but not in Virginia, unless I'm forgetting something. So just for the sake of time, and because I know that you guys will have a lot to say on this too, we just passed um, MLK Day, which as we know, is a federal holiday. Um, politicians of every political stripe these days are celebrating his legacy. Um, you'll never hear anyone, <laughs> regardless of what uh, political ideology they support these days say that they don't, they don't support Martin Luther King. That being said, um, we still have a majority of U.S. senators not committed to seeing voting rights reform and legislation being signed into law because 
they either oppose the actual remedy to do so, or they oppose the system to get that done. So right before recording this episode, I did a little Twitter stalking for Senator Manchin and Senator Cinema on MLK Day. Um, I did not see a tweet from Senator Manchin uh, recognizing MLK's legacy and his work, but it was a very simple tweet from Senator Cinema uh, saying just quote, today we remember the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Hashtag MLK Day. Panelists. Um, keep in mind that Senator Cinema basically shut down passage of this particular bill because she doesn't support any changes to the filibuster. What do you have to say to her? I'm going to start with Jenna, and you can also respond to Senator Manchin, who did not touch upon his legacy at all. Yeah, I appreciate you mentioning that you had politicians from every aspect of the political spectrum tweeting about MLK on the holiday. I only have one thing to say to that, and that is bullshit, <laughs> because you can't have, you can't, it's just contradictory. You can't be tweeting in support of MLK and his legacy and what he fought for, but then on the flip side, go and like single-handedly destroy everything that we're trying to do. Um, to Senator Cinema and Manchin, I learned the term rhino, which is Republican in name only, and I have deemed them dinos, Democrat in name only, because um, just like you mentioned, they're contradicting everything that they're supposed to be doing for their constituents who voted for them, and they're not upholding like what they, their their constituents voted for them for a reason, and they're not like upholding the duty of that role. And yeah, that's kind of all I have to say on that. Let me just start by saying that most elected officials grossly misquote MLK all the time. Um, they oftentimes quote his I had a dream speech. They leave out like very important parts. But what you should be reading is the letter from Birmingham jail, because that is how Dr. King actually felt. He calls for action and he's very disgusted with white liberal people who you know claim to be allies because he's like, y'all aren't doing anything. It's very important to highlight that MLK was not fighting for Black people just to do stuff. He wanted to unite everyone, especially poor people. Poor people come in different colors, if we haven't noticed, right? I think most times we have conversations and we think that Black is synonymous with poverty when there are Black, there are poor people of all shades. So I want to point that out. Um, I'm not surprised that I'd much rather than not talk because you don't need to add to the gross misinformation that's already out about MLK. MLK was murdered because he was organizing around anti-capitalist, anti-imperialist, anti-military ideas. It was not just, he wasn't killed because he was trying to let Black people own businesses. So I think I would just much rather them not talk. If they're not going to say anything to that, like to what I just mentioned, I don't talk at all because it's not helpful. And a lot of politicians pivot to MLK as like the default, right? So Deshaun was talking about like people don't know who MLK, you know, was. They truly do not know because everything is watered down about him to fit in this box. It's, I challenge everyone who's listening to go read the letter from Birmingham jail. MLK was, was tipping on the edge of becoming violent because he was like, this is not, in fact, it, oftentimes people talk about MLK and Malcolm X at the same time. 
And at the time of both of their deaths, they were starting to switch positions, right? So I think that I just don't want them to talk because they probably don't know. I'd rather it come from someone who like knows um, what, like what both of these men, MLK in particular for this conversation, really stood for. So I'm not surprised, they be quiet, just be quiet. Yeah, I mean, I agree with both of you guys. And like, I mean, just like for me, this past MLK Day, like I did dive into like the letters of Birmingham jail, but also like um, some old speeches from MLK. Um, there, For example, there's this 1957 speech um, called Give Us the Ballot. And, uh, you know, he talks about, you know, North Northern liberals and Southern liberals. He doesn't talk about like black and white, but he talks about like this coalition of, you know, people that believe that, you know, you need to stand up for each other's rights. You know, you need to, and if governments that haven't ever need to do that, then you do that. Um, and just talked about like centrism and how that helps, you know, keep the status quo. Um, for those that don't know, I'm from the state of Michigan. We enjoy um, some pretty good voting rights here in the state, um, but that does not mean that voting rights aren't under attack. Um, so I think like when it came to MLK Day and, you know, there were bipartisan, uh, actors that were, you know, saying, oh, we celebrate the legacy of MLK. Um, but when it comes down to it, we know that they don't. Um, you know, Joe Manchin, you know, him being silent on MLK Day. I actually am glad he didn't say anything, because like if he did, I would just be more mad than I already am, <laughs> uh, especially when, um, you know, he wants to make this compromised legislation, which was uh, Freedom to Vote Act. Uh, for those that didn't know, uh, that was his compromise legislation, and he's not voting on it. He did not vote for it. Um, so that, to me, is just crazy. Um, but, you know, like I was saying, um, I think specifically the Republican Party at, at this moment, um, they're just not on the right side of this fight. Um, you know, Democrats, they're not all collected, so they're not, like, all on the same page when it comes to like what people need either. Um, but in the state of Michigan, for example, like here are the things that we are having to deal with. Um, you know, we have to deal with Senate Bill 286. Um, this makes it make this takes away uh, drop boxes um, where you put your ballot uh, on election day. Not really about helping people vote. Um, doing that in the state legislature, which no one pays attention to, that's kind of a big problem. Uh, Senate Bill 289, the state government gets to appropriate money from the federal government dealing with elections. Um, that's not how it traditionally works in the state. Um, you know, that goes to the Secretary of State. Um, but, you know, let's have, you know, it up for debate and have play politics with uh, election funding, right? Senate Bill 299 uh, requires vo all votes to be counted by noon. When you have 200 million people voting in, a, in a, an election, uh, not just the state of Michigan, but nationwide, you know, and you have volunteers essentially helping you do this work, um, that's not feasible. So I don't know, like when it comes to MLK, I think uh, the Republican Party really does have some thinking to do, because I really want them to be on this on the right side of this fight. Like, I don't want to hate the Republican Party. I don't want to hate the Democratic Party. Just looking at the field right now, like this is what we're up against, like people taking away other people's right to vote, specifically black and brown people, you know, in those communities. So um, I think everyone made great points to an extent. We've mentioned the voting, the Voting Rights Act of 1965, which actually is 
this may be an unpopular opinion, is a decision from the Supreme Court that I support uh, because the formula that was being used was it had been it, ha it hasn't been updated since it was never updated since it was uh, first uh, taken into it was passed into legislation. And so, I, you know, I that I I mean I agree with that decision and I think statistics and statistically uh minority communities have um increased uh in voting in elections um exponentially from obviously from 1965 and I guess many folks will say well it's because of the Vo voting rights act um but I mean I think that um a lot of the work that Martin Luther King uh, contributed, I think, I think we see it present in American society today. Sebastian, have you read RBG's um, opinion on that? Yes, I did. I did. Yes. So that if you're in a storm, have an umbrella. Do, and you have like a raincoat or something. I'm probably misquoting her, but yeah, yeah. She said, storm, you know, why are you, why would you, and this is, I'm not quoting, you know, um, getting rid of pre-clearance is kind of like getting rid of your umbrella um, when it's raining because you are not getting wet. Right. So you're, I'm just, just so I'm clear. So you're saying that you agree with that, with them getting rid of that part of the legislation? I agree with the fact that Chief Justice John Roberts mentioned that the formula that was being used was outdated. So rather than update it, we're just going to get rid of it. Yeah, and that's so such a great point. To get rid of it. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great point. And so <laughs> Chief Justice John Roberts actually, uh, in his opinion, he told Congress, you know, he said, well, if you come back with a revised version with an updated version of, uh, of a formula, I'll take a look at it. We'll take a look at, look at it um, from a Supreme Court standpoint and Congress never did. All right, I, did you want to talk, Jamie? Go ahead. No, I was like, I was a little bit confused. I, I wasn't sure uh, which, you know, Sebastian, maybe you can clarify, like, I don't know which lawsuit we're talking about. Are we talking about like the um, pre-clearance for like, um, you know, Shelby County versus Holder, which I think was in 2013, 2014. I can't remember. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like, I guess, I guess to that point, like, you know, we're looking at the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, which is supposed to bring back, you know, the provisions that were, that got, you know, struck down in that, I believe it was that case for the Southern states having to do preclearance. Um, I think HR4 is the one that actually like, Bring, makes it apply to all 50 states for federal preclearance. Um, so basically, you know, state governments will have to go ahead and uh, consult with the um, judicial branch about, you know, are they infringing on people's rights to vote? Um, and then do they have the opportunity to go ahead and implement that in the states? Is that kind of what we're talking about? Yes. And if that would, if that was something if from a national perspective, if every state was subject to the same criteria for pre-clearance, then yes, I would be, you know, I would support that. But something else to take into consideration, the Voting Rights Act um, of 1965, it targeted certain states. And so you would have one state who would have to go through this tedious process of, um, you know, reaching out to the federal government and having them uh, approve, you know, whether it was redistricting or 
opening or closing a polling place when the state next to them wouldn't have to go through that strenuous process. Yeah, I see. I see what you're saying now. Yeah, like you know, you can't have it. You can't make uh, those types of laws apply to like just certain states. It has to apply to all fifty. Yes, but do but do y'all know why? It's like you know why those states are picked. Yeah, because historically, southern states, not exclusively, um, because there were other states um, that I can't remember um, that in that quote infringed um, and you know on the on access to the voting place. Um, so predominantly with Southern states, but, and so the Voting Rights Act was meant, uh, was a way to sort of mitigate and sort of give a level playing field um, to minority communities. Correct? Okay. I, I think, I, I, wanted, I wanted to hear that because I think that context is important. And also the fact that Congress never did come back to circle back to say, okay, you know, this, this part may be, um, we can work on this part, but there needs to be something with teeth in it that that doesn't allow for state and local officials to just decide, oh, we're going to close this polling place today an hour before we, because that's what's happening. Like the, the, the case that I said earlier, they're closing this down just because we don't have the equipment to do what we're supposed to be doing. And so we can close it if, Voting opens at 7 a.m. We could just say, oh, we're not going to open this poll. And so now people have to figure out where to go. So that little, you know, those few lines in that legislation allows or doesn't allow for that to happen. And so now there's just no provisions in place. I, I, I hear what you're saying, Sebastian. I, I hear what you're saying. Yes, I think that's a good point. Thank you all. So I have one final question for all of you. Um, all of us are basically interested in voting rights of folks of all ages, but all of us were specifically motivated to get out the vote at the student level, um, even if we're no longer undergraduate students ourselves. We felt really tied to this demographic in particular. And I think that all of us are going to continue doing this work um, specifically to get out the vote among young people. So my question basically is now what? How are you going to stay motivated? I mean, if you're like me, um, you weren't expecting this voting rights legislation to be passed by the Senate this week, but when it got blocked, it still felt like a really harsh blow. You were still angry and disappointed and exhausted that we did pro-democracy work in 2020 and 2021 and we're not seeing the fruits of our labor. So are, are you gonna get a margarita? Are you gonna take a kickboxing class? What are you going to do <laughs> moving forward in 2022 and beyond? This is the politically uncensored version of me. I don't give a crap what any politician says. I don't care what anyone, the parents of the politicians say. I don't even care what you children say. I will come to the White House and your office with a battering ram and ram every single bookshelf, document, bill. I will, I will show you what an actual veto looks like from my point of view, okay? Because if you're going to veto what I want, I'm going to veto your position. So pretty much. Um, second forth, since you're not going to extend my student loans, my student loan cancellation, I'm going to, I'm and this is copyrighted from somebody else who I saw on Instagram. If you're not going to extend my student loan cancellation, I'm not going to extend your presidency, okay? Or whatever office or whatever position you, you, you hold. 
I might, I might want to, I might want to steal a couple of bills just so I could put them into law myself because I have the brain power to do it compared to the rest of you incompetent politicians who I don't know, who I don't care about. But um, on the other hand, I'm thinking that's not good enough. So I might just lock you in your office with barely any food or water until you give me what I want as well as the people. And if, and if any of the audience thinks that's inhumane, just take a look at what they've done to us in the past and tell me which one is more inhumane, okay? Thank you. Thank you, Jay Sean. So like the way I'm staying motivated, um, to, you guys can see, um, is quite grand. Um, but you know, I think the most important thing for staying motivated in this work uh, is literally to know that, you know, these things are gonna keep happening. Like every day, you know, there's gonna be people that are like fighting against you. And uh, you know, that could seem demoralizing, but like doing what we're doing right now, just like talking to your, your friends and talking to people in your space about these issues is the, probably the most important thing that you can do. Um, because if we go silent, if we give up, you know, just think about the legacy of like MLK, he organized these people um, to come out and get to the, like the million person march to DC talking about the issues. That's amazing what it can do, uh, adding to the conversation. So just like, I plan to just talk to talk to family and, and friends that like, you know, know the issue at, like I do uh, and feel strongly about it and having these conversations to our listeners um please enjoy responsibly oh i think somebody asked me that question like kind of recently like how are you staying motivated um a few things i think one day when i have children not any function um i hope to tell them like you know hey mommy did you know all she could right mommy did her job you know, I hope that, you know, things are better soon, but I would like to tell young people, like, you know, people that come after us, like, instead of just complaining to them, like, oh, you know, everything is bad. Okay. Like, what did you do about it? I want to definitively like list things that I've done. I also think um, it's important that we as educated folks who have a particular um, what is it called, Lord, a particular Jesus privilege, here we go, um, to be in spaces where we can have conversation with people who don't always think like us. I know sometimes it's like tricky because most folks now operate on feelings and not facts. And this is very evident in how people converse with each other, right? So if I can't finish my sentence, that means that you're already in your feelings and you can't operate on facts. That's what we're dealing with now, right? So I think that people who understand like, how to analyze and like how um, to put things simply. It is important that we keep our head leveled because damn it, we might be the only saving grace moving forward, right? Um, people that uh, can um, think critically, um, it is our responsibility to, you know, keep that level head and drink. Obviously, I think that's what keeps your head level. And, you know, articulate these issues and these problems and to make sure that one of the joys that I have personally is you know, being in, I guess, like higher ed spaces, um, being able to have, you know, intellectual conversations with people that have 17 letters after their name, but also going back to my family and friends who don't necessarily understand things and like chop it up with them as if we're having a normal conversation. That's my role as, as a Black woman political scientist from HBCU, and I take it very seriously. So I think all of us have to like find our lane and like stay in it because it's going to be a long, like hard push right like we thought 2020 was like the shit was on fire in 2020 right like we everything was on fire right and i said i said it's going to get worse before it gets better even like even 
at that moment. And we could argue that it's worse now because people aren't physically protesting. It's like people have become like more docile, but it's our responsibility to keep that fire going. It doesn't have to be like physically protesting, but we have to keep the conversation going and we have to articulate these things so that normal, just regular, everyday people can understand what's going on because the average American has a sixth grade um, um, reading and comprehension level. Just want to throw that out there. It's about 79% of Americans. So when the myth, and this makes sense because of how we talk about vaccines, right? Okay, another conversation. But I think we have to take all this into consideration as people who have a particular space in society, whether we want to, you know, agree with that or not, we do. If you have a degree, you have a particular privilege in the world, actually. So I think we should, you know, just move in that spirit. Yeah, so I think I agree with everything that's been said and kind of how I want to say, I want to preface by saying I need to stay motivated all the time because sometimes it does feel like an uphill battle. It does feel like you're constantly being knocked down. It's not easy work. It's not necessarily fun all the time to just feel like you're getting slapped in the face. I live in Texas. It's a huge slap in the face every single day. But for all the students listening who want to get involved and who are passionate about getting involved, waking up in the morning, knowing you have that you're doing something with purpose and doing something that's fighting for what you believe in honestly is like what gets me out of bed in the morning. Cause I can roll over, open my laptop and see what 10 voter suppression bills have been passed in my state or in a state next to me or in a state across the country. But I know that I'm doing everything in my power, much to Jamie's point, I'm doing everything in my power that I can. And I hope that other students are motivated to do that too, because they want to be trying to suppress our vote if it didn't matter. They wouldn't be trying to silence us if student voices didn't matter. And I think that that's what's motivating me is knowing there are people out here who don't want to hear me. There are people out here who don't want to hear from college students. But at the end of the day, they're going to hear from us. And whatever we say, obviously, is making an impact if they care so much to make us, to silence us. Um, on the flip side, I do think that, to Jamie's point again, if you're a college student, you have a privilege. If you're a college activist, you have a privilege in this space and outside of this space to educate others. And I think that the most important thing we can be doing when you feel beat down, when you feel like it, your work isn't enough, is educating people who need the resources, who want to learn, who don't know about primary voting or like election day laws, what ID you can bring to the polls. Like, I think that as students in this space, as political scientists, we have a obligation to make sure that everybody has every single resource they need to vote successfully on election day, whatever that looks like in whatever state that looks like. And I think that, yeah, that's just my goal for this year. That's my goal for every student activist is just, it might suck, but embrace it, embrace the suck eventually, hopefully, I guess we're all working to better it someday. Um, I just want to take a moment to really um, uh, thank Jamie for what she said in regards to um, perhaps I may never have children. So um, Jamie, I'll leave that responsibility to you. When everything happened with, uh, you know, Senators uh, Cinema and Senator um, Manchin, obviously I was a little um, cautiously optimistic. I certainly hoped that 
you know, they would maybe change their mind at, at the last minute, um, but obviously that didn't happen. Um, so it can, it obviously can get very overwhelming. And, you know, I've, I've all, I've oftentimes asked myself like, you know, what is the point? You know, I feel like no one's listening. And I think it was Jenna who said, you know, it feels like a slap in the face. And, um, but I think to Jamie's point, I do want to have the ability in 20, 30, 40 years, if God gives me the ability to live that long to, you know, look at the young people at that time and, um, you know, tell them, you know, this is the work that I was a part of. This is what, this was a problem that many Americans and uh, many people living in the United States um, were experiencing. And it was something that we thought had to be done. And, hopefully speaking it into existence, uh, the necessary reforms um, were taking place. And, you know, I have a very close friend who has two very young daughters. And oftentimes I think about sort of my, um, you know, my role in, in American society. And I often think to myself, like, what kind of country do I want to leave, you know, those two young daughters, right? And and I've known my friend for like 10 years anyway. <laughs> um, so I think I think Jamie brought up a really good point. I'm certainly not doing this because I want, um, you know, accolades because we're certainly not getting that at this point. Um, but I think it's, it's looking at it from a sort of longer trajectory and, and sort of just staying the course and the necessary change will come. And I think um, sometimes people call me too much of an optimist, but I really do think that, um, the, the necessary change will come. I'm always re revitalized when I come to um, the, you know, when I come to this podcast, when I talk to folks who are in this work, um, because it doesn't make me feel alone. We're all sort of experiencing it the same. Jenna may be in Texas, Jamie may be in Georgia, uh, everyone else, may, you know, in their respective states, uh, but we're collectively working together and uh, changing the country. And um, that's sort of what motivates me. And, you know, strawberry margaritas never hurt. <laughs> I could not ask for a better note to end on. Uh, so thank you so much to all of you for participating in this really robust discussion. This is going to be such an amazing year, uh, regardless of results, because turnout is going to be off the charts. Again, I can feel it. So to our listeners, if you are not angry, get angry. If you are not engaged, get engaged. One of the best things that you can do is use your voice on social media and call your respective members of Congress. Um, friendly reminder, I think all of us in this call know that there's a huge difference between members of Congress opinions and maybe their staffers opinions. So please keep in mind that if you choose to contact your member of Congress, please don't make any death threats. Please don't bash an aspect of someone's identity that they can't change in three minutes. Um, I say this as someone who only interned for a member of Congress for like two months in their district office and got totally creamed on a phone call. So please respect the staffers. They are keeping the hill going, but yes. Stay engaged, thank you so much. Uh, if you wanna get involved in our digital space and connect with hundreds of other students just like us, go ahead and visit our Slack page at bit.ly slash SVN Slack. One more time, that's bit.ly slash SVN Slack and sign up today. 
Additionally, to get involved with the Student Voting Network podcast, just email us at svncast at campusvoteproject.org. One more time, that's svncast at campusvoteproject.org. Thanks for listening and keep on organizing. But I speak for the state of Georgia when I say do not invoke Congressman Lewis' name to signal your virtue. While you work to erode his legacy and defy his will, 